Welcome to another episode of the Corrosion Journal interview series. My name is Sammy Miles, and I'm the Managing Editor-in-Chief of Corrosion Journal, AMP's peer-reviewed scientific journal. Today, we're starting a multi-part series on corrosion and health, with today's conversation on metals and protective coatings with toxic effects on the body. I'm joined by Yolanda Hedberg with Western University in Ontario, Canada, and Jerry Frankel with The Ohio State University. Thank you for joining me today. Nice to be here. Before we dive into today's discussion, can you provide a little information about yourself for our listeners? Uh, Let's start with you, Jerry. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm a professor at Ohio State University in the Department of Material Science and Engineering uh, and the director of the Fontana Corrosion Center here at OSU. I've been here now for over 28 years, so that's a long time. And uh, before that, I was at IBM in the uh, uh, Watson Research Center in New York Town Heights, New York. And I have a, a, a wide interest in corrosion, uh, studied all different aspects of corrosion, including uh, coatings and corrosion protection, which borders on this topic. So um, I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Jerry. And over to you, you Yolanda. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Yolanda Hedberg. I'm a professor at Western University in chemistry and a Canada researcher in corrosion science. Um, I came here three years ago from Sweden. So I did my PhD at KDH uh, in corrosion science and also postdoc in medical, in, in metal allergy, actually, at Karolinska Institute. And my background is material science from Germany, from Friedrich Alexander University. Wonderful. To set the stage for our conversation today, I want to touch on some of the types of products that contain metals or that have protective coatings to prevent corrosion that we use every day that come into contact with our skin or that may be ingested, whether that's something that we eat or drink or inhale. Um, So what are some of these products and industries? And let's start with Yolanda on this one. Yeah, so the most obvious when you think about ingestion is, of course, anything that comes into contact with your food or beverages. So there's a lot of processing equipment, stainless steel, pump, stirring, hot temperature, salty, alkaline environments where you get a lot of corrosion and those metals or coatings could go into the food and and change it, could make it different and even toxic in some cases. And then, of course, if you think about children, they take everything in the mouth, right? So um, that would be clothes, uh, toys, um, iPads, of course. They start with that earlier and earlier. And then when you think about skin contact, it's almost anything in our daily life, Um, laptops, iPads, electronics, the car, the bike, whatever, Um, but also infrastructure, outdoor infrastructure. When you take the staircase, you are holding, right? So um, any products. So and for inhalation, we think about particles and particles are usually either wear particles or combustion particles. And both of them can contain a lot of chemicals. Um, you would see the alloy composition of the brake in the particles. In the subway, you can smell the metal um, smell a little bit that's coming from the copper rail or from the railway. So, so there's a lot of, um, and those particles in our lungs are also corroding and influencing the, the health. Yeah, and I can just add on to that. I think beyond the contact of, you know, that our, our contact in our daily life, a big focus, I think, is, is on worker contact. So 
uh, clearly in factories, during manufacture, during repair, the, uh, the the workers are can be exposed to to higher concentrations of all of these uh, all of these chemicals that that we're going to talk about. So that's one concern, and I think the other one uh, that you know that will come out is through our water supply. So uh, you know not just the products, but that you know as a result of waste from whatever source you know from uh, from uh, you know our waste disposal or or uh, corrosion in the environment that that uh, you know then through water into our water streams. Um, so all of that, uh, you know, getting that down into the water table can then uh, get into humans through the through uh, the, the, our drinking water. And with that, why is that a concern? What are, what are some of the ramifications that we've seen with these metals and coatings and different chemicals that we have um, on our bodies and in our bodies? Like what what are the what do we see from that? Yeah, so one thing to remember here, whenever I, I give like lectures about toxicity, people are really scared, but you should remember that even water is toxic if you have a too high dose. It's always a question of the dose and um, the, the situation, right? So, um, but we do see toxicity for every chemical, right? It's just a question of how much and what is it doing? So if we are looking at metals, quite known the toxicity um, there is metal allergy it's um, people might know about nickel allergy that's quite common um, but you can get allerg allergic to almost any of the metal of the periodic table <laughs> um, it's just a question of how rare it is and and how potent and how much is the dose that you get exposed to cancer is an issue for for many metals as well nickel uh, chromium 6 um, cobalt uh, and neurodegenerative diseases as well. And then I mentioned particles before. They are actually the cause for our um, longest uh, life shortening in, in the U.S. There were, there were um, estimations that would say if we would change to a fossil-free uh, economy today, we would save money because we would prolong our lives so much because we don't inhale as many particles. So it's quite a huge economic impact. And it causes stroke, cardiovascular diseases, almost any disease you can imagine, because those particles can go deep into the lung and into your bloodstream, and they can cause a lot of problems. And it doesn't really matter what composition they are, it's just the size as well. And then there are isocyanates, glue, paints, rubber, and polymer chemicals that all can cause allergic reactions and different diseases. Yeah, let me just follow on to what Yolanda said. I mean, it's really fascinating, isn't it, that you can... Uh, you know, die from drinking too much water, right? And it, it's all about our me metabolic processes. So, but even metals and, and uh, so, you know, we, we know chromium is bad, right? But that's chrome, Yolanda mentioned chromate, so it's chromium in the six plus oxidation state. But our, our vitamin supplements will contain chromium in the three plus oxidation state, right? So we need all kinds of, of ions for proper metabolic function, right? So, you know, the sports drinks should have the right mix of, right? So if you are doing a marathon, right? You don't just drink water, 
um, you know, you, you'll, you, you could die if you just drink water, right? So they're drinking Gatorade or, or a sport drink with the right combination. So chemicals themselves are, are not bad. We are made of chemicals, right? It's just uh, the, the right chemicals. Uh, that, and, but I would say that, you know, the, most of the um, hydrocarbon polymers, you know, are not good for humans, right? So they're 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 you know man-made chemicals are are uh, you know we don't have millennia of experience with it in our our uh, in in our bodies. You know, so we it's not necessarily bad for us, but probably not good for us, right? So uh, there's a lot of chemicals that we use in uh, in industrial applications that can impact our health. Uh, negatively, would say, but not all chemicals are bad. So that was a really good point, Yolanda. Yeah, I appreciate that from both of y'all. Um, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but if we broaden it beyond those that we're in contact with day to day, what are some additional products and industries that use protective coatings or use some of these chemicals that have posed health complications over the years? I know, Jerry, you started talking about um, in the workplace um, and manufacturing, but are there are there some specific examples you can provide? Right. So, so well, we can go back to chromate. Right. So, uh, chromate is just one of the great corrosion inhibitors that we have. Right. So, I like to say you can take chromate and throw it over your left shoulder, and it works. You don't, you know, you, you don't have to worry. It it it, it improves everything. Basically improves the corrosion resistance, I should say, of all kinds of, of metals. You know, and, and uh, at low concentrations, it can be very effective. Uh, so, yeah, the, there there are lots of applications, and uh, primarily, it's uh, these days for protecting uh, aluminum in aerospace applications. Um, and uh, we can get to it later. There are some replacements. Uh, but uh, in the United States, there are uh, there are still exemptions, uh, despite bans on the use of chromates. There are exemptions in the aerospace industry. Uh, you know, I think it's largely been removed from automotive applications. But so there are workers, you know, who who are you know exposed to baths, chromate baths, uh, you know, that can aerosolize and and they're uh, impacted. Um, there are uh, uh, chromate fumes that that come as a result of welding of stainless steels. So uh, chromate is is one of those applications that uh, can impact workers. Although you know, workers in factories, it's sort of a controlled environment, right? So uh, the, you know, welding can be done anywhere, but in a factory, certainly you can you can capture the fumes uh, you know, in either ventilator or otherwise take care of them. You can use uh, personal protection for the workers, um, but still it's a major concern. You know, there are well, all kinds of chemicals that can impact uh, people, but what did you, you were interested in uh, other ways that, what was your question on this? So Sorry, I lost uh, the that can be edited out by no, your no, editors. You, you actually you actually answered it. So other products and industries um, 
that that use some of these chemicals that have posed health complications. So I think you could had, maybe add yeah. on that because uh, there have been like two things happening in Europe that might be interesting for North Americans to know about. So one was like the water-based painting. So you think like, oh, let's uh, remove all the solvent. It's bad for the workers, right? So then you used water-based. But whenever you have water, you need preservatives. And the preservatives can cause skin allergies. And there was a new one, MIMCI, which is um, which was thought to be fine, right? And they added it only at 100 ppm or higher. But all those workers got like an epidemic of skin allergies. And this was noted very early by the dermatologists in Europe, and then it was banned or restricted below a certain limit. Um, and a similar thing happened for the powder coating industry, where they started to use polyester TGIC coatings. And the TGIC, um, it's containing a, a chemical that causes uh, issues. I think it's allergic asthma. And um, so the workers would be exposed to it while they are coding it. And uh, generally you see, you can control worker exposure better in factories than outside or outdoors or like in the in the small companies where they are doing everything on their own uh, in new environments every time. And um, those chemicals usually cause bigger issues. Um, so that TGIC has also been banned in Europe now. I guess building on that pretty much directly, what are some of the challenges in replacing some of those chemicals and or metals if it's a, a metal that's posing the issue because it's it's easy to ban something but then what do you use instead because there was a purpose to having that used right jerry was commenting on chromate where that will be a great corrosion inhibitor so what what are the challenges in just replacing um the chemicals let, let me talk but a few applications, if I can, you know, so Yolanda's mentioned a number and we can, we could start with chromate. Uh, so, you know, the, the chromate is uh, extraordinarily effective at this uh, sort of smart coating, smart inhibition, right? Self-healing corrosion inhibition. So when corrosion initiates, it can be released into the environment and, and limit the, the attack. And uh, it's been extremely difficult to replicate that with other with other chemicals, and you know, as a result of that, uh, the in, in the aerospace industry, the chromate can be really needs to be somewhere, you know, either in in uh, for outstanding corrosion protection, I would say. So either in the surface treatment or in the uh, primer uh, as a pigment. Uh, you know, so there there have been uh, a, a number of coatings that are extreme that provide really good corrosion protection. You know, the, the, those based on the uh, trivalent chromium, the uh, fluorozirconates that that you know, can be used in surface treatments, which is where the you know the a lot of the industry has gone for surface treatments. Uh, but <clears throat> getting that that um, self healing uh, to the extent that you know, the air space industry wants is you know extremely difficult and then you have to you know, rely on on maintenance and and uh, you know repair uh, so I'll just mention a couple of others An another of these uh, magical chemicals that that uh, seems to benefit uh, their uh, in their application is uh, BPA so that's bisphenol 
you know, A, that it's received a lot of attention these days. It's added in polycarbonates and, uh, you know, in in bottles, like uh, bottles used for drinking, um, and also in um, in coatings, in food can coatings. So that's directly uh, in contact uh, with with um, with foodstuffs. And uh, so certainly anything that's directly in contact with the water that we're drinking or the food that we're eating um, is, is uh, you know, can be a problem. And there are uh, these BPA-free, actually the industry doesn't like to use the word BPA-free because, you know, it's impossible to prove that, you know, there's no BPA. So they say BPA-NI, which is not intentionally added, uh, the NI, not intentional. And so, uh, you know, there still might be some BPA. So uh, there are now uh, the BPA and I coatings, uh, and they don't last as long. Uh, you know, so the, the thing about food, canned food, which is something I've come to appreciate by working with the can industry, is the critical role that it plays in our society, right? So certainly there's some fraction of our society that really relies on canned food, uh, although I would recommend fresh, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, which seem to be healthier. But canned food, uh, you know, is something that we all should have on our shelves in case of some emergency. There's all kinds of emergencies that could happen and we need to be prepared for it. So, you know, your pantry should have canned foods and you should be replacing that those cans uh, because there's a limited shelf life. And so, you know, by using these BPA NI coatings that limits, the, you know, the shelf life, and you need to replace them, uh, replace them more frequently. So, you know, that's that's the issue there. We 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 can we can replace them, but then there's there's impact in their application and their uh, utility. The the last one that I'll just mention I've had some exposure to are the uh, what's called PFAS. Uh, so you might know them as PFCs, perfluorochemicals, uh, and uh, PFAS is per or polyfluoroalkyl uh, substances, PFAS. Uh, so it's the same thing. And it's a huge family of chemicals, the uh, you know, uh, fluorine uh, containing. And I think we are most familiar with Teflon, uh, you know, which is just miraculous, right? As someone who ends up washing uh, dishes uh, a lot, right? Uh, so it's just you know amazing what what it can do. But there are broad applications of uh, of PFAS, uh, you know, in in clothing for water repellent clothing, uh, in firefighting. So it's a major chemical used in firefighting. And I know that the U.S. military, you know, uses you know a huge amount of PFAS. In training and in real life application to uh, to uh, fight fires, so that gets dumped onto the ground and goes down into our uh, you know into our water systems. And these are also known as uh, forever chemicals. So it's received a lot of attention because they they are hard to break down, uh, you know, to get rid of, uh, and they they come into our bodies and. Um, they can last a long time and have impact. And, and yeah, I can let Yolanda talk about the impact of uh, health impact of these chemicals. Yeah, so so this belong to chemicals that 
they don't kill you directly, <laughs> but the the um, effect might be first visible in the second or third generation. So we we call that like it's in, impacting reproduce, uh, reproducibility of people or and animals, and it also impacts um, so that you you transfer the chemicals. So children get higher and higher accumulation. Um, of those chemicals. So all of us actually have the chemicals in the blood um, measurable nowadays. There's no human left on earth <laughs> who doesn't have that. But um, so that's, and there have been, research shows that there are effects um, on hormone levels on, yeah, in the second and third generation. So um, it's really hard to notice that right away when you would do like a risk or hazard assessment for those new chemicals, you would not see it has any effect on on the first generation, so you think it's it's fine, right? So, um, but we now learn more and more that actually, for example, fish in lakes is affected by um, endocrine disruptors, with which are these BPAs. They they look similar to hormones for those animals uh, as well as humans. So, for example, the um, the menstruation cycle comes earlier and earlier in girls, and that is also um, correlated to some of those chemicals. So. Um, those effects are more and more known. Why um, the chemicals are on the listed uh, on the list to be watched and maybe regulated? What are some recent advancements and developments, and what's really driving them forward? Yeah, maybe I can start with that because um, I know the European Union regulation, so that is regulated by the European Chemical Agency (ECHA), and. Um, there are a lot of uh, relevant regulations. REACH uh, is the chemical legislation. Um, usually it gives um, some years for the industry to adapt to a coming a new uh, legislation. And it also only applies for a certain tonnage or mass that you import or export. Um, but it is becoming by nature stricter and stricter. So usually the industry has to take a responsibility for testing and proving that their stuff is safe or replacing the um, chemicals to comply with the European legislation. So for example, the aerospace um, industry has been exempt from chromium-6 um, the 10 years ago, but now it's not anymore. So in Europe, it's, it, it's not allowed to use chromium-6, even in the aerospace uh, industry. And um, it's looking very similar for other uh, chemicals. Uh, so, and the other very important legislation is ROS, so R-O-H-S, which is um, also going through a lot of different toxic chemicals in electronics. And um, I would say what is really driving change is regulations. And in North America, it's, it's mainly governed by lawsuits. Um, and in Europe, it's mainly governed by those authority uh, regulations which are in turn influenced by scientists and uh, physicians. Yeah, I'll just add that the, the uh, regulatory world is complicated and I think it, it it creates real problems for companies to deal with. So, I mean, Europe, as Ilana says, you, you know, Europe is often leading the way in these environmental issues, but even in the United States, there, you know, there can be wide uh, uh, you know, differences in, in local regulations. So the states regulate differently, right? California might uh, regulate differently. And, and uh, Europe's a big market. California's a big market. So and you know, so these companies have to deal with, with uh, changing and variable regulations. And uh, so in some ways, maybe it's better to, to look at, you know, the worst case 
uh, right, you know, regulatory situation and just deal with it, and you know, then you can apply it elsewhere. But clearly, that's that's uh, a driver. And I'm going to ask a question building on that. What happens if, let's say, Europe or California passes a law that says, okay, we can't use this, and there isn't really a good viable replacement that can serve the same purpose? Then, then what? Um, do you use, as you mentioned, uh, Jerry mentioned the BPANI, where it's okay, you're not just you're just not going to have as long of a shelf life, or is it you have enough lead time to develop something that maybe works as an interim until you can come up with a better replacement long term? Yeah, so usually they they improve the lead time. Yes. And they would also fund in Europe, they would also fund research that's looking for alternatives. Okay, so you do have time to adapt and mm -hmm. perfect. Um, with that, what are some of the areas that still need additional research? Yeah, um, I think we need to get better into a complete life cycle assessment because, for example, when you think about a bridge that is corroding, you do have the chemicals in the paint or in the primer um, in, during the manufacturing, but you also have the, the metal itself and that contains impurities and those can be toxic as well. Um, and you also have the sustainability. You want the bridge to last as long as possible. Um, and it's, it's a huge environmental and human health impact if you would need to replace the bridge very often, right? So, so therefore, you need to have a complete picture of the entire project. Um, so we need better life cycle assessments by not only looking at one chemical at a time, but actually everything. Um, and that should go into environmental impact assessments for the engineers and the, the project team. Um, and then it would be good if also sublethal toxicity issues would be uh, considered. So anything that is not directly killing you, basically. <laughs> so because, uh, for example, what happens if we pollute that entire lake with endocrine disruptors and the fish cannot reproduce anymore, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so Yolanda said a key word there, which is sustainability. Okay, so the, the corrosion community has been in the area of sustainability forever, but now it's a buzzword that attracts a lot of attention. So, uh, you know, the, the government companies are, are very involved in uh, uh, trying to improve sustainability. And the way that uh, I think the major focus of sustainability it deals with energy usage and, and, and carbon capture. Uh, but, and, and certainly we can in our field uh, do a better job of explaining that corrosion is sustainability, corrosion resistance is sustainability, right? So if something's corroding, it's by definition not sustainable. Uh, so I, I recently co-authored a paper where we looked at the cost of corrosion, not in terms of financial cost, but in terms of the, uh, this was the cost of steel corrosion, uh, in terms of the carbon release for the manufacture of steel that replaces corroded steel. But beyond that, I think that we can focus on the aspects that uh, Yolanda mentioned. So sustainability yeah, it involves energy, but also involves our environment. Okay, so uh, if, we are, if we are using um, materials for corrosion protection that can enter our environment and uh, impact the uh, our health or uh, the, you know the health of of other species, 
then you know that's sustainability, right? That impacts the sustain world sustainability. So we as a community, I think, need to focus on why corrosion is integral in the discussion of sustainability. And I think that, that will bring added resources and focus on, on, on corrosion. And that will benefit not just our community, but but the world. So yeah. Well said. With that, is there anything else that either of you would like to add that we haven't touched on or covered today? No, but thank you, Sammy, for bringing this topic to light and uh, and you know helping us get the word about out about the it's important. And thank you both for joining me today. If any of our listeners wanted to follow up with you later, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Right, so I'm uh, totally Googleable. You can find me if you uh, Google. Uh, uh, Gerald Frankel or uh, Ohio State Corrosion. Um, so you can you can email me, and I'm good at responding. And the same for me. If you just write my name into Google, you will find me. I'm I'm everywhere. <laughs> Wonderful. And with that, I'm Sammy Miles. I'm here with Yolanda Hedberg and Jerry Frankel. And thanks for listening to another episode of Corrosion Journal Interview Series. You can subscribe to AMP Podcasts if you haven't already on Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the major distributors. If you want to learn more about the journal, make sure to visit corrosionjournal.org. You can find all episodes of AMP Podcasts on amp.org. That's A-M-P-P dot O-R-G. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.